Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Purpose Tune Podcast. The goal of my show is to create valuable content to broaden your knowledge, inspire you, and get you in the right mindset so that you can apply it in your own life to drive impact, generate meaning, and achieve your purpose. Hey, Michael, thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of your busy, busy schedule to uh, spend some time with us today to talk about purpose and meaning as this is your work. Um, I'd love to dive into your work, but before that, let me just uh, introduce my listeners about, uh, about you. So uh, Michael uh, Steiger is a professor of psychology and the founding director of the Center for Meaning and Purpose at Colorado State University. Um, he's also a senior honorary fellow at the Graduate School of Education at the University of Melbourne. He earned his PhD in both counseling psychology and personality psychology from the University of Minnesota in 2005, which I also attended, uh, great school there. Um, he's also a research, uh, his research also focuses on how people flourish through building meaning and purpose in their lives and in their work. Um, he has published more than 120 scholarly uh, articles and book chapters, as well as uh, three co-edited books, including the Widely Blackwell Handbook of the Psychology of Positivity and Strength-Based Approaches at Work and Purpose and Meaning in the Workplace. He provides keynotes, lectures, workshops, and consulting around the world on topics on meaning and purpose, uh, psychological strength, positive education, meaningful work, and creating a happy workplace. That's an impressive background, Michael, and so happy to have you here. Uh, I'd love to, um, aside from what I've, uh, what I've stated, um, how would you describe yourself? Well, first, thanks for having me on your show. And um, yeah, I just, I, I hate to be that guy, but I'll just say my last name is actually pronounced Steger, like eager. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, no, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. It's, it happens all the time. I, it's uh, about 10% chance that people get it right because you know, we pronounce it the American way, which is just whatever happened during our family's <laughs> trek over here. So you won't find anywhere else in the world where they pronounce it like that. So it's probably even just my own family. So but in case anyone has heard my name elsewhere. So uh, yeah, so thanks for having me on. I think it's really exciting to see the, the attention and the energy being poured into ideas like meaning and purpose right now from a lot of different corners and, and a lot of folks who I, I'm guessing like you, thought it was always an important part of who they were and how they wanted to live their lives and, and sort of direct their efforts into the world are kind of stepping out of the, the, the sort of shy spots where like deep thinkers or, you know, people who overthink things in my case, uh, you know, oftentimes hide. So it, it's just been fun to see that uh, this, this come mainstream and, and I'll just as a, as a quick, I don't know, header say that one of my career goals has been to just make meaning and purpose feel very mainstream and not weird and not you know overly intellectualized so it's it's really exciting to be a part of a show like this that i think is bringing it uh to people in, in ways that are going to be really helpful for folks so so thanks for having me on i'm really excited yeah um, yeah well thank you for um you know agreeing to be on the show and to talk more about uh, this topic of purpose and meaning because it uh, definitely has been um, something that I've been thinking about personally for quite some time. And uh, as some of my listeners know, I initially launched this podcast because uh, based on several conversations I've had with my friends, um, you know, it seems like there's 
um, a part in their lives that's missing uh, in terms of um, you know not knowing why they exist and 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 what their purpose is and and um, so they're trying to make sense of uh, of things in their lives and so I wanted to launch the podcast to help my friends but also uh, the world to ensure that you know we're creating a community where people can thrive and be fulfilled in whatever uh, path they choose. And so, um, you know, I, I, I wanted to dig into, um, you know, your, your work. How would you define purpose and what has it meant for you? Yeah, well, it's, it's been an interesting journey to, to where the field is at and where I'm at. You know, uh, when I first got interested in, the, in, in this, it was, we're talking decades ago, right? So, um, you know, really the only figure I knew, the only figures I knew in the field were like the existential psychotherapists and like folks like Victor Frankl, where, you know, what you're really dealing with is how do you apply good clinical skills to helping people confront struggles around meaning and other existential topics. And, you know, I would say even when I began the acad academic journey at University of Minnesota in, in 2000, you know, I was all, I was 30 by the time I started that PhD program. So I was kind of like all grown up, you know, I was, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to study what I want. I don't care if it's popular. I don't care if people think it's, it, there's no hope for it as a career. Like I've made my own choices for a while now. I'm going to do this again. And at that time, there was just really a lot of conceptual fuzziness. Mm -hmm. So the most used scale of any type, I think, in meaning and purpose is, is still probably Carol Riff's um, purpose in life scale and it's possible that my scale has, has overtaken it but uh, it, it is does the same thing that hers in some sense does it doesn't really define purpose you know mm -hmm. you can get it from hers and it's hers is more focused than mine but like the, the original idea around purpose was kind of your what are you trying to do with your life like what do you want to do with your life and folks like Eric Klinger who was at University of Minnesota Morris a different Minnesota but you know he was writing in the 70s to the 90s about this idea that we are we really physically and biologically evolved to try to do things and to use our motivational systems to pursue. Mm -hmm. So that was that was this idea of purpose. That that purpose was about um, setting goals, figuring out how to do it, pursuing them. And in, in Carol Riff's work, then purpose had a lot of these nuances. Like I've got lots of interesting things to do in my life. I have a sense of energy. You can almost see that as like the, you know, the the early human on the on the on the plains emerging from the forest, like lots of things to do that day, and that gives a sense of purpose because you have goals, you you have a sense of direction, and you're actually doing something about that. Mm -hmm. And then you know someone like me comes along and is like, well, I'm just in the big picture, so I'll just mush all these things together the way that everyone's been talking about them, and I was 100% driven by the statistics. So, um, you know that that next phase starting maybe around the publication of the Meaning of Life questionnaire, which was my, my dissertation work, was really the mainstreaming of, let's just get some data on this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And the data suggests that people mush all these ideas together themselves, but we're starting to really try to pick apart, like what is unique about purpose in this whole existential adventure that we have? So I would say um, purpose is a, a collection of one or more overarching just very important ambitions or aspirations for your life 
you know, that they, they help you make decisions, they help you set priorities, they help you organize your efforts, and they can be a potential source of motivation you can keep tapping into. So, so when I do a lot of my work, I, I help people understand how to clarify their purpose and then how to use that to build sustainable and renewable motivation, even if it's just for you know the kind of BS stuff you just have to do to get, get through a day. <laughs> so then I'll just say that, that it's, to me then, purpose is like the ultimate architecture for the bridge from where we are now to where we, where we dream of being. Mm-hmm. So, it, and I intentionally use the word dream because purpose is pretty long. It's like an open-ended ray. If you remember your geometry from back in the day, <laughs> it just keeps going. You don't know if you'll get there. Mm-hmm. So it's really about the pursuit in my mind and in my view, mm-hmm. not necessarily like picking things off the list. Right. So does that mean that there isn't really a destination and that we're on this path to whatever this purpose is? as long as we're on it and that somehow will be fulfilled because we're on this path and not on a path or? Yeah, so I think it's, so let me give you an example. One of the, one of the very, very common purposes that people will, will say is like, I wanna, you know, I wanna be a better person. Mm-hmm. So when people say that, they don't mean like, uh, and in, eight months, I'll have achieved that. And I'm, I don't have to think about myself as a person ever again. I'll be perfect or as good as it takes. And I'll just like coast the next 75 <laughs> years or whatever. You know, they mean like there's, there's, a, there's a process of, of continually orienting towards what that overall purpose means, right? So the first step for, you know, as we start 2021, uh, you know, maybe people are, are choosing goals that are part of something I hear a lot of people saying like, we wanna pare down our lives to get to what's really, get back to what's really important. We wanna reject the zero sum game. We gotta be really responsible about the way that we live now because we're starting to see, uh, you know, the, the looming fireball that we've created ourselves hurling at us, you know? So those are massive, massive undertakings. And in the sense of a broad purpose, they're gonna serve as orientations. And they can be really passive and dead. You just stick them in a box and you're like, oh yeah, that's right. I remember back in January, 2021, I was gonna you know, try to do what was really important. And then I got caught up in all the, all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Or you can use them as a constant orienting device. You know, I, I liked a lot of people, because in the Northern Hemisphere, we talk about the North Star, you know, I'm from the North Star state in that sense. But I actually think that the Southern Hemisphere navigational system of the Southern, Southern Cross is a little bit more apt. Right? If you think about the Southern Cross, there's like four points in the sky and where they kind of meet is, is like, you know, that's South. So you just do that, but it's more than one thing it, and it, they kind of change perspective and you have to figure out what that direction is for yourself, but it keeps you oriented. So that's what purpose is. It's the way that we orient among a lot of different competing factors that sometimes one is more important than the other and so on, but it keeps us orienting towards a destination it doesn't supply necessarily a finite destination. You know, mm-hmm. like, the, here, like here are the most common purposes. I wanna be a better person. Uh, I, wanna, I wanna live more gently on the planet. I wanna be a good parent. Uh, I wanna secure my future for future generations. Mm-hmm. Never done. None of those are ever done. You know what I mean? So like getting used to that idea that you just wanna make sure that you figure out not only this set of purpose that's really good for you, but then how are you going to use it to live your life more purposefully. Mm. So 
the, the examples that you gave, like I want to be a, a better parent to me, it sounds more like a goal that a person wants to have or, or want desires. And so, so for me, I, I guess I'm just struggling a little bit about, you know, about how purpose is defined for me. Um, but, but, but it sounds like it's, it could be, uh, purpose could be, it isn't just a one statement. It's, uh, it covers other elements of our lives, right? So you want to be, you want to live gently, you know, in a uh, world that's chaotic and you also want to be a better person. I mean, you can have two of those things um, as an individual is what I'm hearing from you. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll swing back to differentiate between goals. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there, uh, you know, the leading, the thought leaders on purpose who, you know, did some introspection, came up with an idea and, and saw it implemented for a profit or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. They, they love to say that you get one purpose and you execute on it. There's no, there's not really any data to, to back that up. Um, in fact, there's a lot of data to say that that's not accurate, that it's much more accurate that people feel like they have competing purposes mm-hmm. or that their purposes evolve over time. Mm-hmm. So just to use the example of being a good parent as, as to help us understand purpose relative to goals. Being a good parent, uh, I'm sending a kid to university, hopefully, I mean, we can afford it, you know? So uh, me being a parent for him is different than it was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So if I set that as a, so as a purpose, that's gonna keep evolving. You don't just set it and forget it and like create your executables and you know, your, your indicators of progress and performance, and all that sort of stuff, because that's going to constantly change. So it's a, it's like a living, breathing thing that moves with you through your life. Okay. And so, so that's one way that a purpose is something that changes. So it's not something that you just like, like some special experience as a kid gave you one purpose and you have to like, just chase that the rest of your life and like, mm-hmm. you know, make progress towards it. That doesn't seem to be at all accurate. So it's really about figuring out who you are and how you want to live into the world. And so that's going to that's gonna merge and blend with a lot of other things about self-knowledge and accepting responsibility towards other people or whatever it might be for, can be really idiosyncratic. But then the, the, one of the ways in which, you know, other than evolving over time, because certainly goals can evolve over time too, but mm-hmm. the, the mechanism for evolving a goal is like, resetting and revising right so you're like this goal doesn't pertain anymore or it's not accurate or it's not advantageous so let's let's take a reset mm-hmm. but a, being a better person or being a better parent would be terrible goals right mm-hmm. from what we know about like goal achievement and goal striving those are they're too vague they're not time limited right so mm-hmm. it's very hard to figure out whether you're making progress right. so goals are a great part of living purposefully and ideally your purpose should inform your goals but goals need to be things you can actually accomplish in a time frame that makes some sort of sense right mm-hmm. so i'm going to take the risk and read to you my purpose and i want you to give me some feedback <laughs> oh so I, I don't think you're the only one who's taking a risk now <laughs> <laughs> so i you know it took me a couple of days to write out my purpose right and obviously launching the show you know it would be uh, it would not make any sense for a guy like myself launching a, pur- a podcast on purpose and not having a purpose statement. So, um, so I, I uh, you know, of course, I've um, edited the, the this purpose statement um, uh, a, f- a number of times, um, but I wanted to um, write it down so I have it. 
and I wanted to read it to you. Is that okay? Of course, yeah. Okay. Don't expect me to like judge it or anything. But. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just I, I just like your input because uh, okay, a lot of insight on this. Um, so my purpose in life is to reach my fullest potential and uncover the greatness in me so that I can inspire others to also reach their greatest potential. Together, I believe we can create a better world. The key to my life is having an internal moral and emotional GPS that guides me through life in both the good times and the challenging times. In life, I believe there is no such thing as failure, just learning opportunities for human growth, understanding that I am an ever-evolving human being and consistently striving to achieve new heights will help me reach my truest calling. And I live life with a sense of meaning and purpose by being genuine and kind to others around me and serving people. Yeah, well, it's good. Like, well, let me ask you first, like when you read that, I mean, it's a vulnerable thing to do, right? So first of all, kudos for that, because <laughs> it should be something that's not really that big of a deal. It should, it should be as, as uh, acceptable to talk about this stuff as it is to recommend the next thing to stream, you know, but right, yeah, we, we feel like, oh, if we don't get it right, then, you know, it, it's terrible. And uh, yeah, so so how do you feel? Like, what do you like, what, what sparks in your in your mind and in your heart when you read through that? I feel, uh, I feel inspired every time I read it because it gives me um, a sense of meaning and um, I don't want to say goal, but something to look, to, you know, look forward to. Um, it helps me uh, by providing guidance in my life, uh, especially in moments when uh, they're challenging. And it also gives me a sense of why, like, why am I here on earth? I was created. I, you know, really believe I was created by the creator. Um, and I have a, a reason to fulfill my duties, my responsibilities here on earth. And I will continue to search for it by being of service to others contributing my talents, skills, and expertise to make this world a better place so that when I do leave this, this world, that I would have achieved my truest calling. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I think that's awesome. So, uh, and, and the reason I think it's, one reason I think it's awesome is I think any time someone takes the, the time to do this, it's, it's really important. You know, whatever the format is, you'll, you'll see in a second that I like the format because it's recognizable to one of the ways that I go about helping people find their purpose. But it's, it's something that warrants time. You know, it's why we're here. It's what we're doing with our lives. It's the, the point of it all, right? So if we, just to be able to do that, know that that's there, that you can go back to it, you can, you can consult it, you can check yourself against it. It creates lots of different utilities, I think. So, mm -hmm. so that's one of the things that I think is is really great to to hear about it, is that it's uh, you're you're packing in a lot of things that I think are important from from my work and from the research into a purpose, right? So, mm -hmm. you've got how you'll use it. You've got more than yourself in there. You've got some pieces about who you are. You've got a lot of value statements about what's important to you in life. And it's not something you're going to check off, right? You're not going to be done 
quarter one, quarter two, you're going to be, you're get, you're, there's still ways for this to keep feeding you um, inspiration and motivation. And it's not just one thing. It's not unidimensional. It's not like my purpose in life is to increase subscribers for podcasts. Like that, <laughs> that's a great goal. And it can be even be really important, but it's, uh, it's, it's not where, it's not where you want to be with a purpose. So now that might seem like I'm trying to butter up the host, you know, all these sorts of things, get, get invites back or whatever, not make you feel bad, whatever it might be. But here's why I think that there's, there's reason to trust what I'm saying, uh, other than I only say things I believe. That's part of, that's part of my, my contract with life. Um, but yeah, so, so when, I, when I lead people through purpose exercises, we start with like a foundation, a sense of foundation, and that's always gonna be who you are and what's important to you. So in the vernacular of positive psychology, we'll, we'll talk about strengths, character strengths. Um, and we'll ha there's lots of ways to explore those through questionnaires or I've developed interviews or even experiential you know, adventures in figuring out your strengths in, in contact with other people. Mm -hmm. Values get talked about a lot, but like diving in and figuring out what your values are, um, that's important to do. You, you've got a lot of values in there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just as a sidebar, one of the one of the more enjoyable things I like to do with folks is I'll, I'll, I'll get people to start talking about values and I'll try to start clustering people who have similar values together and then give them a set of like, like how, do you, how do these actually show up in your life? You know, right. like how, what, what have you actually done with your values? And it, it seems scary at first to say, oh my God, maybe I haven't done enough. Like, you know, maybe I'm just like lying to myself. But in those conversations, people see lots of ways in which they've actually already implemented value-driven behavior. So, so strengths and values are really important. And then I orient people towards team or tribe. You know, like who, who is going on this journey with you? Because purpose is a journey. Mm -hmm. And like, who are, you, who are you traveling for? Who are you traveling with? You know, and so like, you can see like you've got these pieces in there. Right. And then a lot of the rest of it is about well, what are you, how are you going to use this to make decisions, to set priorities, uh, to, to check yourself against the standard you've set here. And then we usually will close with, okay, how do we start future-proofing this? Like, how do you know how to go back into this thing? And like, is this working for me? How do we revise it? When you've got hair like mine, you might have, a, <laughs> a, you might have revised that a few times, right? So. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I mean, of course the statement is in, it's a statement and as I grow and it's going to evolve over time. And so I, you know, I, I doubt that this would be the final statement, uh, you know, based on life events and, and me being my thirties, you know, I, I feel like, you know, there's going to be a lot more ahead of me. And so of course the statement will be, um, you know, uh, evolving as, as time progresses. Um, so you mentioned earlier about um, the scale. Could you tell us more about that? Yeah. So, so, so this is only half my fault. You know, at the University of Minnesota, psychology uh, is defined a little bit differently than it is in other places. Where mm -hmm. a lot of places will say psychology is the science of the foundation of psychology is behavior. Minnesota has this tendency to say the foundation of psychology is measurement. So that was, I went in thinking I want to study Frankel and what really matters in life. And, you know, there's this general like sense of, you know, like maybe not anxiousness, but restlessness around the idea that there's got to be more 
to it than this. Like that's just sort of like my personality <laughs> bent. I'm like, there's gotta be more to it than this. You know, you look around almost anywhere and you're like, this is, why do we do this <laughs> of all things, right? So I went there and then, uh, you know, one of the first assignments I got was to be a good grad student and start shredding things. Like you're just like ripping things to shreds, like yeah. what had already happened. And I wasn't really impressed with most of the measurement. There are plenty of scales, like the first published scale on how to measure meaning or purpose came out in 1964. So there's, it's been around for a while, but they, they didn't have the same computing power that we did. They hadn't had quite as long to evolve the field of measurement and they didn't have uh, quite as demanding of advisors as I did maybe. So, <laughs> so I was handed the task then of, of developing a, a better measure and correcting all the flaws that I had identified as a you know, vicious and aggressive grad student exercising my newfound, you know, tools of ripping things apart. And so it was just a simple thing. And I, I wanted to get at what I thought were the two biggest ideas out in the marketplace at the time. The first was, is life meaningful? Mm -hmm. You know, like, is my life meaningful? Let's, what is that called? And I just called that presence of meaning. The other was this idea that for me at least, and for a lot of people, it, there's this idea that we're searching for meaning like like there's a there's there's a movement to meaning so we search for meaning so that there's a simple scale like 10 items you get presence of meaning and search for meaning and you know it was it was pretty pretty fun to do one of the interesting things about doing measurement is you need mountains of data and, and a pretty good diversity of statistical analysis to figure out what's going on so it really grew me as a professional and set the foundation for what I was going to do later. Plus, I had a thing I had to explore. I had to figure out this this thing work, you know. So I was like a lot of impetus to do research. But it's really simple, and it's been used. Um, probably right now, it's the most used in the world, and it's it's been translated into I don't know 60, 70 languages. It's just a quick way of doing a check, like how meaningful does my life feel, and uh, do I have a sense of clear purpose in my life. Or am I someone who's just like looking for meaning, whether that's good or whether that's bad? Right. Fun. What what tools could you provide to my listeners on how they can tap into their uh, purpose? Well, uh, the, I assume you want as many free tools as possible. I've got I've got all sorts <laughs> of courses and you know coaching <laughs> offerings and things like that uh, online. But the 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 biggest few things, you know, one of the things I'm I'm pretty happy about. I was always nervous about the idea that what if the things I'm saying are not actually accurate? Because mm -hmm. I I started I went on just I was just talking about research, but almost immediately after once I progressed from giving posters to actually giving talks, almost immediately the first thing that people started asking about with a kind of like an awkward chuckle was like, so uh, how do you find more meaning in life? Like, and you could tell like they they were prepared to treat it as a joke. But they were serious. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they wanted to know. Yeah. yeah. And this is this pressure then to give folks an answer. And mm -hmm. you see it all the time in, in publishing houses. Like people mm -hmm. are so certain that they've got the recipe for every human on the planet. I'm like, <laughs> I can tell you that's complete. Uh, that's that's complete like delusion. Yeah. There's no recipe that works for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, but there's like a big menu you can select stuff from it so mm -hmm. there was a I, I was pushing really hard to find things that would boost meaning for folks and most things didn't work I wasn't able to replicate a lot of things that are already out there 
in the literature either, which is part of the crisis of the social sciences, right? But yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really happy that that what I'll recommend right here is has been uh, replicated in in more than one country by independent folks, not just me. And it's mm -hmm. really simple. And I think that in particular, the, the little baby step that the most recent researchers took creates something that will resonate with your own purpose and certainly with my own. So it's very simple. Mm -hmm. You're gonna take a week and you're gonna, at the beginning of the week, take a picture that addresses the question to you, what makes my life meaningful? Mm -hmm. And you spread out the pictures so that by the end of the week, you've taken your eighth picture, let's say. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to take one every day, but I want you to give yourself a whole week where that's sort of like your, that's your idle time project, right? right? And you can take your picture of anything that to you answers that question. So some people have taken pictures of pictures, pictures of family, right? Or mm -hmm. people take pictures of running shoes, trucks, you know, parking lots. I got a parking lot one time, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, like Bibles, um, you know, mementos from your family's history, like all sorts of things people have done. Of course, pets and people too. So when you've got that, have a conversation with someone about each one of those, tell a little bit of a story and just say, here's why this is meaningful to me. So that's it. That in the short term seems to increase the process of taking those photos. My lab's data showed increased meaning, life satisfaction, positive emotions. Um, just even before we asked the research subjects to explain the pictures to us. Mm -hmm. And then we did another snapshot after they explained it and there was another increase. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's multiple components and the component that I was really excited to see added in the replication um, was people were posting it to Instagram mm -hmm. and just saying, this is, Hey, I took this picture today. You know, I'm not trying to make you envy me. I haven't used a pink filter to make everything look rosy, but this is meaningful to me. Right. And it, that they got effects from that. And I think that could build communities that could mm -hmm. build this, build in a different counter narrative to, uh, you know, this is the best infinity pool overlooking blah that I've been to this whole month, you know, like whatever it is. So I think, I think that's something that you can recommend. It's not an answer, but it's a process. And that's, that's right. what you get from me is process, not answers. Yeah. Yeah. No process is great. It actually makes it more fun uh, when you're actually doing it. Um, it, and that's just, of course, one of many ways how people can tap into their own purpose, right? Yeah. yeah. So that's really going to be more about that meaning idea. Mm -hmm. so you don't tend to see a lot of goal or motivational stuff show up. You get a lot of the other. So there's, in, from where I see the field right now, there's a lot of consensus around the idea that meaning has three parts. There's purpose, there's significance, which is, you know, there's reason to live. Um, there's value and light, living life is worthwhile. I matter. Mm. And then there's coherence, which is I can make sense of life. I can understand what's going on and it all kind of fits into some sort of like map or system or story about right. how things work. So the picture stuff tends to get at significance and coherence. I think it reminds us that we have a life that we should treasure that we have this precious opportunity to live 
and that there are things in our lives that are anchors when, when it feels like everything's chaotic or we're filled with despair. Mm -hmm. So I think it gets a little bit more at that, that math thing. Mm -hmm. For strictly purpose stuff, I do think it's, it's typically better if you have a good grasp of who you are before you set a life purpose. <laughs> but right. it's okay if you don't, because I think the main thing that you want to do is just start doing stuff that makes sense to you. Mm -hmm. and say that each each effort is a little bit of a mad scientist experiment where you'll learn something about yourself you learn something about what fits for you and who knows maybe you'll fall in love with what you're doing and, and just take some time to reflect on how is this servicing like a, either a deeper or a higher need in myself as opposed to one of those transient like oh i'm excited about that this week Right. So I, I really experiment, like set some goals, say, I, I think my values are this, or people tell me my values are this, or my talents are this, and just make sure that, you know, you reflect on it and then try to imagine what it would be like if that, if the, the vibe behind that goal was something you're going to do for like five or 10 more years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you find people who have meaning in their lives or purpose in their lives are happier do they live longer what does this data show you the data is pretty amazing so when i defended my dissertation in 2005 uh, i had essentially memorized and mastered the entire literature on meaning in life it was like 450 articles or something like that it was wow you know that's a that's a thing that you have to do as a grad student <laughs> at least if you have my advisors but it was manageable like I, I literally could know everything that had been published about this topic in the scientific literature. Mm -hmm. So that's 450 studies, let's say, beginning in 1964 through 2005. So like a 40 year history, maybe 10 a year. Mm -hmm. And that includes work by really profound con contributors to the science like Laura King and Carol Riff, um, Daniel Sheck. Like there's a lot of folks who are really doing consistent work. Mm -hmm. um, last year, there were something like 5,000 papers published on meaning and purpose. Wow, just last year. Just last, yeah, just last year, and that's probably a partial count because there's a lot of stuff that'll trickle out. Mm -hmm. So it's quite, it's probably very true, if not right now, then for sure next year, that there will be more known or published in the last three or four years on the science of meaning and purpose than in all of human history before the last three or four years. <laughs> So you think about that, you're like, this is a great time to start reading that stuff because it's yeah. not only fascinating, but you can find papers that, that will give you data on almost any topic that you want. Mm -hmm. You know, hallucinogens are a big deal right now. <laughs> you know, there's stuff on psychedelics. There's, there's stuff on transcendental spiritual experiences, meditation, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But the data, I would say, um, are probably the strongest or in the top three strongest of any kind of like positive psychology, well-being, happiness variable that's out there in terms of all the things that you that you mentioned. So are people who are people who feel like their life is meaningful and purposeful? Are they happier? Absolutely. Higher rates of well-being, higher rates of happiness, higher rates of life satisfaction, quality of life, however you measure it, there's an advantage there. Are they horrible narcissists though? No, they tend to be more responsible. They tend to have a high more ego strength is one of the old timey ideas. Um, they're more self-transcendent, so they take on goals that mm -hmm. are less about the short-term needs and more about long-term stuff, but they also 
give more to charity, they volunteer more. So like they're nicer to other people, they're kinder, they're less hostile, they're less depressed, less anxious, they experience less stress. When they're under stress, their bodies react less. When their bodies do react, they recover quicker. And over time, they have lower levels of like stress markers, whether you wanna measure that as cortisol, whether you wanna measure those inflammatory inflammation markers, for example, blood pressure, less likely to be obese, more likely to engage in healthy eating, exercise, more <laughs> likely to use safe sex practices, more likely to, right? You know, you, you can populate this list, but what it all adds up to is that there, there's well over a dozen studies now that are longitudinal. So you take a snapshot of meaning, time A, and you go five years, seven years, sometimes a little bit more than that. And people who have a high sense of, who are at the top end of that scale, have a longevity advantage mm. over people who have less meaning in life. And that's, that's great, right? We love that because you, that's not a self-report measure. Oh, I'm dead now, you know, I better go back and change my five years ago meaning in life scale answer. But that's a hard, that's a hard data point, right? So people who have a higher sense of meaning in life live longer. Mm -hmm. And you can say that that's true in the best of studies, controlling for things like chronic medical conditions, mm -hmm. depression, income, stress levels, neuroticism. I'm big, I've got tons of neuroticism. So I'm hoping that'll like uh, counterbalance that, right? So, so we see that when you control for other things that we know either extend or, sh or shorten our lives, still there's a unique and profound impact of meaning in, in life. And I think it's because, not because we just have this magical belief in ourselves, but because in most circumstances, people who have a strong sense of meaning and purpose in life, they're gonna have better relationships, they're gonna manage themselves better, they're gonna live more healthily, they're gonna be able to resist the stuff that tends to tear us down more often, they're gonna reach out to help, they're gonna create communities, and they're gonna be more resilient than when the shocks of the system happen, like seems to be a daily thing now. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. Uh, impressive. Do you have any uh, articles or books that you could recommend um, that could speak to um, some of these areas around uh, the correlation between purpose and health? And, or purpose and uh, I think the best work being done, or the, for me, the most interesting work being done right now is by a guy named Eric Kim. He's out at University of uh, British Columbia, and he was doing some partnerships with Carol Riff. You've heard her name a million times. She's a, she's a giant. She's one of my academic heroes. And, uh, you know, he's done some interesting stuff, not only around health, but also around like healthcare utilization, which I think is interesting study in our bizarro land, like pay to live uh, healthcare system that we have. Right. But he found that like the purpose in life predicted essentially preventative or proactive uh, medical system interactions as opposed to emergency care or it's too late now, you know, medical healthcare seeking. So, so people are high in purpose in life, not only are cheaper because they live longer and get sick less often and have more sources of support and also do less drugs and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But also they are out there investing in their lives. Their life is meaningful. So they want it to keep going. Mm -hmm. So his research is really fascinating. There's a burst of research in the late 2000s by Patricia Boyle at the Rush University Medical Center in uh, Chicago. And that's was looking at, there's a, a big longevity study out 
from that one, but also some stuff around Alzheimer's disease and cognitive decline, mm -hmm. which is super fascinating. Um, I think that Carol Riff does more than just purpose. She does overall well-being. So she does research that encompasses autonomy, self-acceptance, good relationships, things like that. Mm -hmm. And she's a hardcore humanist. So she cares about things like art in society. You know, she's just an iconic, she's an iconic <laughs> figure. So anything she does is really, really cool and inspiring to me. But there's, there's just tons. There's just tons out there. I would just say go to Google Scholar type in any two things that you think are really cool and, and you'll find it, you know? Like we didn't really talk about the workplace stuff very much, but there's very active people producing research on meaningful work. And yeah. even some of the kings of engagement, right? Like Shockley, <laughs> uh, you know, is, uh, is doing stuff showing that their job resources and demands model can incorporate meaningful work. These would be job crafting with, causal influences. I mean, it's just, it, it shows up with these benefits mm -hmm. all over the place. And I would just say that um, I think if you read someone like Carol Riff, you'll get a solid sense that this is going to work best and over the long haul best if you really are doing something in your life with it. And you're not just like picking a book up at the airport. All right, I got it done. Or like, paying someone to come in, give, you know, giving someone $600,000 to rebrand your corporate purpose and then no one does anything with it. So it's, it's meant to be put into action. And, and if you do that, I do, I do think the data is pretty strong that you will, you'll see benefits, uh, health, relationships, well-being. You know, now that you mentioned about the, you know, workplace and purpose, what's, what's been your work on that? Because, like, you know, I'm fascinated by it because, as you know, I have a um, degree in psychology. I'm in the organizational effectiveness space, uh, you know, working closely with business leaders to change their organization and culture uh, to ensure that they have the right talent um, in order to create uh, inclusive culture where people can belong and be who they are and have a sense of purpose. So I'm fascinated by your take. Could you share? Maybe yeah. Something? Yeah. Well, I think one of the ways where, where, where I, I'm intensely worried about the rapid um, increase in mentions of purpose and meaningful work, yeah. because I, I just, you've seen what's happened in the past, right? So job satisfaction programs, turned into engagement programs. And now engagement programs are turning into meaningful work or purpose of the workplace programs. And there's no, there's really no difference. Mm -hmm. I would say that there's a lot of really great intentions, um, but also a lot of filters on the minds of, of, of the, the consultants who are in charge of implementing and innovating in this space. So it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's tough. Like there's an adaptation of what exists more often than building from the ground up because who can afford to build from the ground up and not get in, not get it in any of the clients, right? So it's it's a challenge. Plus, when done right, I mean, was your own journey to clarifying purpose and meaning in your life completely full of energy and enthusiasm? Or was it sometimes like a little bit confusing? You know, I think yeah. whatever yeah. confusion you might have had, multiply that by 100,000 employees or 30,000 employees, even like 50 at yeah. one office. And it's right. like, it's going to be discomforting for folks. So I'm worried that there's just going to be the same old crap about we're going to call this purpose or now we're a purpose-driven organization. 
-hmm. we've got our purpose statements we've got a vision our mission our values mm -hmm. uh you know we've got a we're implementing servant leadership we're lean now whatever it is it's just <laughs> going to be rebranded and nothing's going to change and we're at a point where because corporations are probably the most influential global human entity on the planet we need desperately for for things to authentically change so i would say that that's the number one thing i've I've noticed in the yeah. workplace, but when people do it, when people invest in the long term, they they do it right. It's it's effective and it's remarkable. But the U.S. and sort of competitive capital capitalist marketplace is a really tough place to all of a sudden start trying to do that stuff mm -hmm. because there's a million other demands and a lot of other people who are willing to take your your market share while you try to figure out what's going on. So I've seen it be a little bit easier for um, companies that were founded based on this idea mm -hmm. of we're about this and this is a good thing, mm -hmm. you know, but we're going to keep to it and we're going to really, we're going to stay on it and we're going to try and keep the, keep the right people. I think then the right people, particularly in upper management as you grow becomes really important because otherwise as you bring in the accounting person or you bring in the whatever person and their incentive system is going to be contrasting. You can see this at Google, right? So yeah, so yeah. I also feel too, because I've worked, uh, you know, with startups and smaller companies in San Francisco uh, as my clients that they, um, you know, if they could engage in this discussion around purpose, then they're actually better off than if they were mid-sized and a larger corporation then engage in this conversation. So I want to at least contribute to the conversation and get, get it going so that people can you know, have these types of conversations in their offices and uh, the workplace uh, you know, with their colleagues and family and friends um, and ultimately create a community and society where we can all be purpose-driven. Um, and can you just realize, you know, can you just imagine a world where, you know, people are purpose driven? I mean, that would, you know, that we, we would be in such a positive, you know, environment. Um, yeah. Because of all the benefits that you mentioned. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's interesting, right? So there's the, there's the big crux of, of growing a startup and maintaining a culture. You know yeah. where that's it's super exciting and i love i love hearing the stories of folks who are who are launching companies and trying to grow and you know i know that there's there's a lot of effort to try to figure out what that means and set like a destiny and you know founder's vision <laughs> and things like that and it's you know obviously as i'm sure you know like maintaining that and codifying that into actual culture mm. is way harder than you know, capturing for all time an example of a of a inspiring leader, you know. So it's <laughs> the, the proof is always in the pudding, and it's always pretty. It can be challenging, but I would say that for folks who want to start doing this work, I think that there's there's a little bit of a trade off, and and you're probably better to talk about this than I because you're much more experienced in working with companies. The I, I think the the scale of the ambition is. Mm -hmm you know, the more that you want purpose to do and more places you want it to show up mm -hmm. in a company, the, the exponentially longer time frame mm -hmm. you, you need to prepare people to take on because I think there is a trade-off. Like if you start at least the conversations and have people say like, well, it'd be nice if we 
if we could come together around maybe even just our existing purpose, mission, values, vision, whatever it is, and like have some conversations throughout the organization on, on how what that looks like in practice and where we fall short. Like that's that's something that can be done, I think, within a lot of the existing consulting structures and mm -hmm. you know probably really enjoyable, especially if you cap it off with some success stories and some like hope for the future. Right. But where it becomes more difficult is when you want alignment from a lot of different people in a lot of different sectors, working in a lot of different markets with a lot of different disciplines, with a lot of different time in the company or in the profession and all that sort of stuff is really hard. I think it's why we see um, a lot of lip service to purpose a lot of times because mm -hmm not because companies don't want it it's because it's hard to figure out how to make it work for everybody right it, or you see just again it's like the the low-hanging fruit <laughs> the universal reinforcer of money you can always get people to agree like well yeah like well if all else fails let's at least try to increase margins or <laughs> remain profitable <laughs> i think it's the default purpose you know like of our whole economy because it's really hard to get people to agree so I would just say then, you know, you won't be surprised. I think agreeing on process is probably going to be a little bit more important a lot of times than agreeing on like a crystallized vision and mm -hmm. then just making sure that it's, you find enough of, a, of that kernel of purpose that people can really feel good about and mm -hmm. that it's probably traditionally good things because mm -hmm. you'll have more people buy in if it's like a, a good purpose than if it's like right. a super obscure or just evil purpose right right so i think that those are the those are the sorts of shortcuts to start creating that that ecosystem where where people can start to maintain conversations but mm -hmm. i don't know well, i don't know what you, what do you think about that that uh, framing well you know i think that when it comes to human behavior and change management right like implementing any sort of concept such as you know we're going to be a purpose-driven organization um, it's going to require first you know, a common understanding of what purpose is for that organization and if their culture aligns to it. Then also, of course, even if you did implement uh, initiatives that's tied to, um, you know, uh, you know, these purpose driven um, uh, programs or, or, or a purpose driven mission to get a collective uh, group and to change and, and be aligned, right? Going back to your point of alignment uh, with that purpose-driven uh, mission or these initiatives, uh, it's gonna require a lot of work, not just for the individual themselves because they have to internalize uh, what purpose means to them and if their values are aligned with the, the mission of the organization, but then also um, to get everybody together to really be on the same page. and. Um, but to do it at a smaller company compared to a larger company is, I would say, you know, is much easier because, uh, you know, there's, of course, you know, um, no bureaucracy, uh, you know, approvals from uh, multiple, um, you know, managers, you know, to implement a process, you know, it, it, the, in a startup culture, a smaller company, you just don't have that. Um, and so that's where the exciting um uh, activities uh, happen is is when you have a small team, a mighty team that's driven and that's that you know that that believes in a, a mission. If if the culture for that company at that time is right, I think that you could 
potentially implement a purpose-driven mission and create a purpose-driven organization. Uh, but that's just my two cents. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's where the, I think that's the big question for the field right now because, you know, the the work detailed by like the firms of endearment, you know, research project project is shocking, right? You know, like these companies are like lapping the S and P five hundred. 14 times over, you know, a 30 year span that are, that are sort of mission driven, purpose driven, values driven. So we know that when they, they get it right, they're incredible, powerful companies and oh, right. they're, they're not, they're not like cancers, you know, they're not just extracting value uh, from one place to, you know, cash it somewhere else and then move on. They're like doing good across the bottom lines and multiple stakeholders. So we know that it works when it works, uh, and we know it's hard to get there if it's not working so far. Yeah. So, so how do you how do you connect the dots? Is 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 really where the magic is right now. And you know, one of the one of the sidebars of of all of this is that there's, I think, the research from like University of Michigan Ross School with folks like Jane Dutton and her colleague at Yale, Amy Rosniewski, and their and their colleague Justin Berg around job crafting and the original research that she was doing on calling in the late 90s. Um, you know, one of the one of the little nuggets uh, there was what they found was that teams function better when there's a higher proportion of people who feel like their work is a calling mm-hmm. uh, than when there's a lower proportion. And and maybe they all agreed that working for you know company X means the same thing to me as it means to you, mm-hmm. or maybe it was really different, but one thing we can probably guess at from individual level data is that if your company is able to at least lay fertile soil for mm-hmm. meaningful work to happen on an individual level, you'll, you'll probably benefit from that as well. And there's a, I collaborated uh, on a project led by Nico Rose who moved from uh, consulting into, into academia and, and writing. And I had had a, a sort of like a leader like uh, like really just a sort of a mini system for helping leaders keep in mind what they can do to fall, to create that that fertile ground for meaningful work and it was called karma and uh, he added another a and so it was karma you know and but he created a scale and, and and had people over time rate it and they were rating it about their managers or report tos right so if people were helping were expressing a, a clarity of if they felt like their manager was expressing a clarity of vision right so that with the c in english or k for Klaudenheit meant in german if they were creating space for self-actualization that was the a that nico added mm-hmm. or if they were supportive of autonomy which was the original a um, if they were able to uh you know create a sense of respect you know which i think is we oftentimes talk about relationships in the workplace are supposed to be like friendships but that is a or family, that's a, those are bad models, <laughs> workplace relationships. The foundation of, of uh, you know, a good workplace relationship shouldn't be like the knockdown drag out version of family, or we never talk about emotions, family, whatever your family was, or whatever your friends do, it should be respect. You know, it should just really be respect for everyone, wherever they're coming from. I mean, another was giving, uh, making sure your manager gives you a sense of, or if you're a leader, vice versa, making sure everyone, um, well, I like to say like, when, when you hire someone, Mm-hmm. They should not know that they matter, 
but exactly how they matter within the organization. And that's the supervisor and the manager and the leader job. That's not the new employee to figure out like, why did they hire me? And you know, like, why did they pay this money to get a recruiter to bring me on board? Right. And then, and then, you know, so anyway, we, we, we did this scale and, oh, and, and the, I uh, can't remember the last day all of a sudden, I'm blanking right now, apologize for that. But he did, he did a scale of that and followed it. And the folks who felt like their managers provided that karma for them, mm-hmm. they were much happier. They had very, very low intentions to turn over. And when he did a follow-up study, they were much more likely to still be with that company and recommend that company to a good friend. Mm-hmm. And so like that's all the stuff in engagement. And right, like organizational commitments trying to capture. Yeah, yeah. And it was really the data was what people felt their managers were doing just to facilitate a personal sense of meaningful work. So there's a there's a middle ground between like my work is meaningful. I don't care whose company I do it for, you mm-hmm. know. Versus I work for Patagonia. It's got an awesome purpose. So of course my life will be awesome. <laughs> and then like the the sort of like village scale or the neighborhood scale of like, you know what that person's about, you know what that person's about, you check in and like you make it more of a humane place to work in those in those littler ways that really does like it it automatically bakes in tolerance and and really celebration of differences because you get to see how that that is the diversity of belief, the diversity of background, diversity of language, diversity of experiences, that's going to build like something really special for that person. And you get to see so many different examples then of how it can flourish. So I think keeping in mind that middle ground is really, is really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's fascinating. Oh, sorry. The other A was authenticity. Sorry. You can't, you can't be. <laughs> and, and what's that? What's that? So that is acting ethically and um, with integrity regarding the way that the company is supposed to run, mm-hmm. right? So it's, yeah. it, it doesn't mean that you have to, as a leader, be, you know, sharing everything that we might think of when we think of authenticity, but it does mean that if, like, you, you know, Enron's, for example, Enron's corporate values were awesome. Yeah. It's just that no one followed her or <laughs> none of the leaders followed them or believed them. So like, you just act with integrity. If you say that something is important right. to your company, you do that too. You don't just say like, that's for other people to do. What's important for the company for me is, you know, being able to get a second home in Connecticut so I don't have to stay in New York, whatever it is, right? So it's really that piece uh, because leaders are modeling what all this means to the folks that, that you know, they're visible to. Right, um, exactly. That was the other one. Sorry, but I wanted to, I can't like leave those like, <laughs> list on popular. Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm glad that you're able to capture it. And, and that's, you know, of course, a very key component to, uh, to leadership, uh, organizational leadership, especially. Um, you know, Michael, I'd love to, you know, talk to, to you more about the subject of purpose and meaning. In, in, but, uh, it, you know, we are out of uh, time. So I, where can uh, people find your work? Um, should they choose to connect with you? Um, well, so I've got a website that just has uh, the most requested articles or and measures that that I get because I, I don't have <laughs> I don't have the time or attention to keep updating it or make it look fancy. But that's michaelfsteger.com. Uh, I teach a, a class on like sort of a where the common space between where mindfulness and meaning meet. So it's called Meaning the Moment. I teach that to the Whole Being Institute. Mm. Um, I've got a pretty 
I, I've been hearing the Scottish word janky a lot. So I'll say I got a pretty <laughs> janky YouTube channel where I just sort of randomly muse about things that are important to meaning. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm reasonably active on, on LinkedIn, so folks can get me there too. Okay, great. Uh, do you happen to have other uh, social media outlets like uh, uh, Instagram or uh, Facebook? I, I do have an Instagram, but that's that's literally just pictures. Like it's not a sales funnel. Like if you want to know, like back when I used to travel, what I thought was cool to take a picture of, that that's the Instagram. So I'm not a, yeah, I'm not really great at, at building a brand. So it's it's just what I think are cool looking pictures. Hopefully other people do too, but my, yeah, my yeah. children are, are appalled at uh, like, I've got pictures out of four likes up. That's a no, no, apparently. <laughs> I think I follow more people than follow me and that's bad too, or whatever, you know? So it's not, <laughs> lower your expectations for pretty much anything social media from me. So. Sure, sure. Um, my last question to you is, what advice would you give my listeners? Well, keep at it. You know, I think, what I would, so there's that, there's the encouragement. Like we, you get a whole life to figure this stuff out. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of pressure that, um, I, I feel, you know, like I think you're millennial age, right? Yes. Yeah, so so, <laughs> I don't know if it's, I'm, I'm Gen X, but I'm one of the cynical Gen Xers. I wasn't one of the like the total <laughs> line and you know, get your retirement watch. Gen Xers, I was one of those like, the world sucks, what's going wrong? <laughs> so I kind of feel like, a, you know, I, I'm not the person who says this, but I have, I know that the millennials like not only have almost all the resources uh, in society after she been hoovered up by older folks, but mm -hmm. then those same older folks then start screaming and ranting about what kind of a job is an influencer and blah, 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 when like, <laughs> you're just being adaptive and trying to make something interesting happen when all the other, so many of the other opportunities are shut off. So yeah. I know that things are intense and there's a lot of pressure to get it right, right? There's a lot of, I think, I cannot, I, I, I guess it's flexing. I don't want to say that word because I know I'm way too old to say it, but like, I couldn't think of another one. But there's a lot of that sort of stuff going on, people putting up a strong front, uh, acting like their life is fully together to try to attract whatever they want to attract. Um, so it puts a lot of pressure on people if they feel like they have to have their answer. You don't have to have your answer. You just have to be asking it and working towards getting an answer. You don't have to have a Nelson Mandela sized mm -hmm. purpose either. You don't have to have a Malala sized purpose. You can have a you sized purpose. That's the one you ought to have. So I'd mm -hmm. say that. And then the second thing was, uh, you know, this is not just to boost your listenership or something like that, but like share this sort of experience with folks. Like I heard a million times about the podcast, my dad wrote a porno. I don't hear people talking about like purpose <laughs> podcasts, but that's where we, we should, it should be at least as popular, right? One's about some, somebody's weird dad in the shed and the other's about like how we're gonna live our lives. So right. we share it, we talk about it, it becomes a little bit more normalized. We're less alone in our wondering what else is out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really resonate with your last point, Bill. Um, we're not alone. And, um, you know, I, the, the nice thing about being, you know, a podcaster is that um, it has such a wide, it reaches so many people uh, around the world. And, um, you know, I just connected with one guy from Australia and he's, you know, huge into purpose and meaning and, you know, the, the, the magic technology, if we could create a community where people are purpose driven and, you know, make this more of a normalized conversation 
because at one point in my life, I thought I was like one of the very rare ones talking about purpose and meaning, especially in my 30s, and who yeah. talked about that. I mean, I was actually engaged in this discussion when I was 18, 19 years old, um, very young, very early. Um, and so I'm very happy that I came across, you know, an expert such as yourself uh, who can speak uh, more in depth about this, you know, this topic and really help guide us um, as we're, you know, trying to tap into our, our own um, sense of meaning and what that means to each of us. So, um, Michael, thank you so much for your time and your insight. Um, I really appreciate you. Uh, and I hope that, uh, you know, the folks listening on this podcast will find it to be uh, insightful as well. Well, thanks so much. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, take care and uh, stay safe and be well. You too. Bye-bye. All right.